0: Greetings, geeks and pop culture lovers, and welcome to the third and final installment in our collaboration between Wizards, the Podcast Guide to Comics, and PopGeeks.com. We are bringing you a behind-the-scenes look at Zenoscope Entertainment. Once again, I'm Adam Pope. And
1: I'm Michael Canetti.
0: So this time around, we're excited to welcome a co-founder of Zenoscope Entertainment who launched the publishing entity in 2005 and 18 years later has continued to guide its success into the world of comics and beyond. So we're excited to have him with us. Hey there, Ralph Tedesco.
1: Thank you for having me, guys. I personally am a huge fan of Zenoscope. I've been reading issues of the comic since i don't know maybe 2011 or so um nice. so i actually went and did a deep dive in all of my comics th- this evening to try to find some of the earliest issues that i was reading and i was picking up like honestly the first book that caught my eye was red agent and didn't know much of anything about it just started reading that as yeah. as were my like gateway to it and then uh, eventually I was reading at, at Free Comic Book Day, and I saw this this uh, Grim Fairy Tale Free Comic Book Day issue that I picked up at one point, and the rest is history. Where do you see what I have to show you? You've got you've got okay. a fan here, so I'm I, I'm trying not to nerd out too much because I'm super excited. Um, I've spent a lot of time, even during COVID, you know, watching the live feeds on Facebook. I've watched. I'm a VIP member from Zenoscope. Oh,
2: I didn't see it at the VIP event, by the way. You got to come to one of
1: them. Oh, I, I have to, actually. I Don't believe maybe. If, if my wife can let me get away for a night with my, for my kids, it's a... You
2: got to talk to her.
1: I'm down Good for fun. that. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've tuned into so many of like the movie night specials on Friday nights. We've had okay. cool guests on um, and talked about different issues. I have some of the issues here. I'll show you some of them as we go through. Um okay i'm 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 a super excited to have you here i've been hyping this up for adam for a while because i'm very pumped to have you adam. Um,
0: yes, I, i'm dude. on the other side i've been learning along the way like, uh, Who's this guy?
1: <laughs> but you know one of the things that i've been dying to ask you is what made you want to start a comic book company like an imprint like what was the you know brainchild behind um, that
2: I mean, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what an imprint was back then. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think we just had this idea to to publish a comic that um, we, we were both writers, struggling screenwriters, uh, and I was living in Los Angeles and from Philly. Our our company's based in Philly, but my my then writing partner um, Joe Brusha, who's now my business partner, he I was just visiting. I was visiting for for a wedding. I was back home and uh he mentioned like hey what do you know about comic books and i honestly didn't know anything i knew nothing about comic books like i really knew very little about them. i didn't really read them growing up um it just wasn't something i got into for some reason i don't know why so i did i was like i don't i just know like i read i watched like the superman movies and stuff like that mm-hmm. you know superhero movies growing up but um I didn't know her. i didn't know much so he was like well i got this idea like we wrote you know what if we wrote a comic book published our own comic book and maybe we could try to turn like if we publish something good we can try to turn into a movie and you know very naive way of looking at things we were in our you know i was in my mid-20s then um he was in he was like a little older than me but you know we didn't really know we were just like oh they're making movies at comics and i was like well I don't know anything about superhero. Like, I don't want to write, I don't think I can write superhero stuff. Like, it's just not my cup of tea. Like, they have already done everything. And I, uh, he was like, no, go watch like Road to Perdition and History of Violence. Mm. Uh, those types of movies were out around that time. And I was like, oh, like those are based on comic books. Like, I didn't know. Once I realized like movies like that could be made from comic books, I thought, oh, I could write stuff like that, I think. Like, I, I, I didn't know how confident I was as a writer, but, we also had, like, an idea for Grim Fairy Tales, which was simple as it could get, was take the original fairy tales and then make them more with, like, we, we wanted to turn them into, like, Twilight Zone episodes, like like uh, Tales from the Crypt. We were big Tales from the Crypt fans. So I was like, what if we take the original fairy tales, like the original stories, which are dark already, flip them on their ear, and, and we can just come up with, like, these one-shot, I like, fun, twisted tales, and no one was really doing then. I mean, you would think they had, that that already been done, but it wasn't being done. Um, and so we just did it. We just were like, let's hire an art studio, let's hire an artist, and uh, we got Al Rio to do. Uh, if you guys know his work, uh, he's he mm-hmm. he passed away years back, but he uh, he was a he was a great artist, and he did his iconic. Uh, red riding hood adult red riding hood not like little red riding Hood, in the woods in, in like a like a nighty, and a, wolf, a werewolf behind her and it was like such an iconic cover i just knew right away i was like that covers like like you didn't see anything like that before and i just knew it was going to be awesome
1: is and, it from this is it this trade or like this early uh, on or earlier than that even
2: well, that first issue is in that in that
1: collection. right. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay,
2: I don't know if the cover's in there or not. If there's a cover gallery, I doubt it. But the long story short was like we we published this first issue with with not much. Like we didn't realize how much publishing was going to cost. We didn't know what we were going to do. We printed ten thousand copies before we had a distributor. Um, we went to comic-con in 2005 at wizard world comic-con philadelphia and set up a booth and i had like my girlfriend at the time and a few of her friends dress up in cosplay uh very <laughs> display and you know back then cosplay wasn't what it is now
1: no definitely not
2: and it's weird i say back then it was not even 20 years ago but back then it really wasn't that that big and when we went to comic-con we were the booth with the hot babes right the booth babes <laughs> uh even Seth Green came by the booth and was like hanging out with us (laughs) because we had these cute girls there. And um, we sold out of our, we didn't sell 10,000. We brought like, I don't know, maybe 1500 copies, something like that. We sold them all and we got diamond to pick us up that weekend. And we were now in diamond and we were like, well, are we a a publisher now? I guess (laughs) like we, we had the company name. We were kind of thinking of doing going through like Image or doing like publishing through a. There was there used to be a uh, a company called Speakeasy Comics. I don't know if you guys remember that. They yeah, were yeah. they were like an Image. They didn't last. Mm-hmm. So we were talking to them about going through them and publishing with through a different imprint. And then when we got Diamond, we were like, let's just do our own imprint. And that was how it started. So it was a yeah. long way to answer your question.
1: That's Sorry. a great a great question though. No. I mean uh it, it's it's kind of cool because you also got into the game before everyone was putting everything through, you know, Kickstarter to try to get it and you, you know. You, you did it organically just going to a convention.
2: There was a, if there was a Kickstarter then I would, we would to rush. Oh. I,
1: I I do have a Kickstarter statue by the oh, way.
2: Oh yeah, nice. hi. <laughs> Look at that. Van house.
1: Awesome. I have the 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 metal card as well. Oh yeah, I got it all, man. Let me tell. Okay, you. <laughs> there you
2: go, true fandom. I don't know what Adam's
1: doing, but we got.
0: But what That's I'm fair. curious to know, Ralph, is so. Uh, the thing that does make your company stand out, you know, we'll we'll kind of get into this a little bit later, but, you know, you talked about booth babes, you talked about, you know, you guys do the variant covers that have a little bit of a, a sultry edge to them, but yeah. also just the name Zenoscope, like that really will get people's attention, and, you know, uh, I heard at one point that a lot of companies, uh, you know, during kind of the independent boom were trying to start their company name with an A, or a. trying to start with a D or an M, so yeah. they're near DC or Marvel in the Diamond catalog. Um, but you guys went yeah, to the end of the alphabet. So <laughs> what's going on there? Why is Uh it's
2: funny. That it was a happy accident. We we uh well yeah, if you look up, like you'll see a million combo companies with A names. It's kind of it's kind of hilarious. Um, because they want to be in the front of the count Finally, we made it as a premier publisher in Diamond, so it only took <laughs> us 18 years and and you know, all these other companies <laughs> to leave Diamond, but that's another conversation. Um yeah no uh we we uh we the name honestly i everybody tells us to come up with a really good story and be like you should come up with something really cool because i always tell it like the honest way which is be we, we just liked the words like joe was stuck on this like scope he wanted this scope in there like i remember us talking like, brainstorming and he kept going like like, you know, like Interscope Records, such a cool, like, ban- Interscope, or like, and I was like, and then I was just like, we were throwing out, like, random other names and Zen kept, like, oh, what about Zen, like, this balance of of like, like, this harmonious <laughs> like, like, I don't know, and he was like, Zenoscope, Zenscope, Zenscope. he's like, and then Joe was just like, that's it, Zenoscope, and I was like, Zenoscope? <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, I think that's it, and I'm like, so Zen and Scope with a knee in the middle. And he's like, yeah, 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 let's do it. And he's like, I have a great idea for our logo. And he was like, a dragon. And then you have Xenoscope and the S, the tail of dragon's the S. So you have Xena and then Cope. I was like, okay, it's fine. Let's do it. <laughs> um,
1: That's hilarious. We just, ran, we just ran with
2: it and I, it was there. And then everybody's like, now, now everybody's like, Xenoscope or you know they don't know how to pronounce it but zenoscope is, is essentially the name
1: but you do even have a podcast now called everything zen, everything like... zen which is on
2: a hiatus we kind of took a break from it unfortunately because it's just so hard to put it down it was much easier during covid i don't know how, like for us like we just had so much going on and like mm. um the one our one podcast producer mark actually ended up uh, leaving the company mm. or something new. So it was like, all right, now we don't even have our podca- podcast producer. Yeah. So, so yeah, but Everything Zen was our was our podcast and hopefully we can come back with it because it was actually a lot of fun to
1: do. It it was a good podcast. I listened to several yeah. episodes. So, you know. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it
2: was fun. We got some good guests on there too.
1: So funny enough, I'm going to parlay into my next question in a minute or two, but I was at New York Comic Con. I forget what year it was. And right. and I ended up going to the booth and I'm and I'm talking to uh, Dave Francini and he like the the constant salesman that he is got me to buy the oh, first yeah. uh, Cinderella serial killer he signed the, the sh- one
2: he writes of course
1: <laughs> but he also did get me to buy this book which is my favorite Xenoscope story bar none and it's the Courier you
2: Courier I you say that because Amber the girl who works for us uh, Amber used to make fun of me about that.
1: This if is you, a fantastic book. It's, it's, yeah. Oh, it's amazing! That cover,
2: Adam. Look at that. That is not a sexy woman on the cover. Just that,
1: It's true. Yeah. She
2: didn't know. It's not every Zestico book has a sexy girl on. <laughs>
1: and. and you know what's cool about her, like she's Mad Max kind of a character. Yeah, a yeah. Way.
2: It's like a Mad Max vibe to it. It, yeah. it. I mean, it was inspiration from that was one of the inspirations. the really Michael good Ralph, life. I gotta
0: ask Not when so Michael life. is showing these things to you. Do you just hear have like the cash register cha ching, ching? Yeah, <laughs> hey, we got some other stuff for you, Michael. It's right
1: over here. Oh, please. No, it's <laughs> got I could go I can go deep. I've got all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like uh,
2: some over there, I
1: think, right? Oh man, I've got so many of her so one of the things that i find really cool about xenoscope was it focuses on the heroes that for lack of a better term you know identify as like female empowerment and um while also leaning into like conventional archetypes like robin hood you know is very similar to you know a green arrow type or bell who's kind of a, a, like a la like a younger batman or nightwing kind of a character um yep. When you were mapping out the universe in the early days, did you set out to create like archetype style characters or just wanted to lean in more like the grim fairy tale, you know, Snow White and that kind of stuff?
2: Um, we went we knew everything going in. We had it <laughs> so intricately mapped out. We are going to no, we we didn't know. It kind of evolved very organically i mean early on we didn't even think about like a shared universe or a universe it wasn't that that wasn't even like a thought initially not until i think we started publishing like what the return to wonderland series which really took off that was huge at the time for us um, when we published the return to wonderland stuff uh, which was a much different tone than grim fairy tales but that's when we started to think okay this could be a shared universe so we have. We have a grim fairy tales and we have Wonderland. And Joe, Joe had written a script, Neverland. It was a it was a screenplay, but it wasn't finished. And then he wanted to turn it into a comic book, which was it takes um Pan, and he's he's the evil vampiric type being who's who lives off of children's souls, basically, soul, soul vampire, um, uh, and hooks the good guy who's this like homeless beggar in New York and like with a one arm. And the hook has to kind of go into Neverland and and save these kids. Um, he's the only kid who ever escaped Neverland, so we like twisted this Neverland mythology. Um,
1: I love that. I I love that idea that like if you look at it, you can you can see the turn in where Peter Pan could be actually the villain that he's he, he's taking sure. these children kind of thing, yeah, and Peter it makes and, sense.
2: And and really dark too. Like I remember early on, our managers are our, are. Our, our, entertainment managers who who were repping us were like, you can't kill kids in the, in the- <laughs> you can't kill kids. Cause we were killing kids in the, we killed kids in the con and uh, spoiler alert, not all the kids, just a couple Now they kill kids all the time,
0: but like, back then, <laughs> like,
2: you can't kill kids. But with Neverland, with Wonderland, we were like, oh, we can kind of create this this universe. Like what if these, these, these realms different dimensions that surround our own that we just can't see earth we don't see these dimensions beyond earth but they they exist with they coexist with earth and um and it was just a natural thing where we had reinvented all these fairy tale characters fairy tale characters are generally female we didn't set out with this agenda where we make female characters it wasn't the idea um you know it was sort of like when we're reinventing fairy tales your protagonists are generally going to be females
1: hmm
2: and and so we started kind of coming up with ways to turn everything sorry, Joe's texting. Me. I think he thinks he was on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, am I supposed to be on no, you're not on Timmy, dude. Um, it's just about me. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, I, that was sort of how it how it started. just very organically um accidentally in a lot of ways and then we started to map things out more and more and get more into the creating the universe and then it evolved from one thing into now it's like the shared universe and it is a little bit more superhero-esque right it has a vibe of a marvel like like fairy tale characters as marvel heroes in a way that that initially when we started the company i was like oh i'm not gonna write that stuff because that's <laughs> not but now it's what we do yeah uh, but it's not all we do you know we do a lot of horror stuff
1: oh i have i have um, i sent adam a picture of a pile of comics i have behind me just i laid them all out just to kind of get an idea there's a huge i had like three boxes i was digging through there's yeah. like grim tales of horror or t- of tales terror. of terror uh, uh you know there's this
2: we're we're independently financing a feature. We just shot the the first, uh, of the, we're doing an anthology style. So we just shot the first short film of that anthology.
1: So So did you guys write, did you write it yourself or Uh,
2: that one? I didn't write. I wrote one of them. We're going to be shooting. Uh, we hired a writer director, um, who directed the first one and Joe and I are producing it. So we were shooting overnights in LA a couple of weeks ago. Um, we had to do it non-union because of the strikes. Yeah. So we got, but the, these actors are really, they're mm-hmm. really good too. So,
1: But like, honestly, I mean, I, anyway, I just, just I, I, I shot a feature um, about two summers ago, we use all non-union people and we shot in like a week and it, they all were fantastic. And yeah. I, I'm a, a screenwriter and filmmaker by trade as well. And I, I teach film and creative writing and stuff like that. And so, you know, I, I love all that kind of stuff. And, you know, a there's so many of these stories that literally you could rip the pages right out and, and ter- convert it into a screenplay in yep. no time. Um, you know, and that's something that I find so interesting is, you know, you know, Adam or, or people might be like, Oh, well, you have like, you know, a hot girl cover kind of thing, but it's not like that. Like it's, there's so much, it's so different than that when you go and read and you read the stories, they're so well-written um, they're all very well thought out. Um, the pacing is always phenomenal um i was telling adam recently like one of my favorite books of the last you know two years is man goat and the bunny man <laughs> it's such, it's right. such an um, insane story but it's amazing,
2: well, it's it was, amazing. Uh, yeah that was i think a, a night of me joe and dave <laughs> at a story conference during covid just locked in a room and down <laughs> down the jersey shore <laughs> and uh and joe threw that out and was like he was in his little notebook of all of things <laughs> he's like let's do something weird and i was like okay and he's like what about mango and the bunny man And i was like what and we just started running with these ideas and that was the first issue like we mapped out we outlined the first issue that night Mm -hmm. and uh, and then joe wrote it and it was just off to the races because that was one of the most successful books we had published
1: people you couldn't keep it on the shelves in comic shops people were buying all the variant covers second printings they just wanted this story and it was so good like it was so fun Yeah,
2: sexy bunnies
0: (laughs) through this series i've actually been reading and realizing what is you know behind the covers you know what, what is going on and that that isn't all that you guys are about. Uh, And so I've really enjoyed the stories. I think you guys have a, a quality, you know, editorial staff that's really leading you guys in an interesting direction. But the question I have is what also sets you guys apart and this is something that michael has pointed out to me is you guys aren't doing like you know just years and years of monthly titles you know you guys are doing these story arcs it might be three issues might be six issues you know and then they can be collected in a trade and all of that but did that come from again a conscious choice of saying no one wants to sit, sit through 12 issues or you know two years of yeah. story to get somewhere or how did that develop
2: i think we always figure the longer we started realizing like the longer a series goes on, the more readers you're going to lose over time. So I think like the shorter, so so we started doing like a, a more four and five issue series for a while. Mm-hmm. Then now we're doing a lot more of the one shot issues. They're like, so they could be like, sometimes they're 36 pages. Sometimes they're, are 48 pages and sometimes they're 72 pages and they're just like one-shot stories almost so so they're all contained because we started realizing that whenever we published a a special issue that was like a 48 pager those would always sell as much as the 22 pages sometimes or more so i was like i think it's like sort of the netflix idea uh the binging idea of like especially like nobody wants to watch their tv shows week to week anymore and and people certainly didn't want to watch, didn't want, don't want to read month to month anymore. Uh as much, I don't think. I think it's hard to like sustain that model in this sort of frame, you know, now, right? Like 20 years ago, sure, but but now everything's instantaneous for us. So like we're spoiled as, as hell. I didn't say the F word. Uh <laughs> we're spoiled and and I think the idea was like let's try more of these like sort of longer like so somebody got to buy an issue, you know yeah it's maybe it's a it's a seven ninety nine issue let's say but it could be seventy two pages so you're getting like a mini graphic novel and you're finishing a whole arc so it's a lot easier to digest I think for people um, and they, and it feels like you know I think you're getting more bang for your buck you know if you're if you're spending you or if you're spending eight ninety nine even um on a 72 page book i mean let's say you're you're selling comics for 3.99 at 22 pages each you know yeah, <laughs> versus versus a 72 pager you know to me it just makes more sense um and and it's it's tough it's it is tougher because you need to work well more more ahead of time and you need artists to be able to work quickly because if an artist is doing 72 pages, that's a big commitment for him to do 72 straight pages. Um, but same thing is if you have a four-issue series, the same artist is gonna still do four issues, or you, you hope they will. Um so yeah, I mean, I think like with us, we always experiment with the different lengths and the different, but the longer those I mean, obviously with Grim Fairy Tales, I mean, that's an ongoing that's been published month to month for eighteen years. We haven't just going for eighteen years straight. Um, so that's just always gonna be a s
0: you know,
2: I mean, probably one of the longest running or the longest running indie comic out there. I don't know I don't know what else is.
0: Yeah, that's super um, impressive. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, and, and it's and it's good. I mean, like literally every issue of Grim Fairy Tales is, is phenomenal. They're all fun, they're interesting, they're they are interesting they they Move the story along, and even still with like the you know one shots, which I think kind of sort of stemmed that out of COVID a little bit because it, it the shifts I think happened around twenty twenty one. If it, it was a little bit, you know,
2: yeah, yeah, we were we were talking about around COVID, I think, like getting the getting people trying these new formats um, out and just seeing we we were kind of experimenting. So it's been a couple of years, but not yeah, not too long.
1: And what's cool about them though is they're sort of like almost like gateways you buy one for you know and oh that's cool and then you can sort of go to the next one shot and so on and so forth and be and you're still learning more about the character that you're reading whether it's bell or van helsing or whatever and it sort of evolves your knowledge as opposed to like Having a six or twelve issue arc of something, and you're just like, all right, issues four through seven are kind of throwaway. Each one is sort of interesting and different, as a different villain that they're facing a lot of times, and and the way you twist certain villains, like you've had like, um, I'm blank on top of my head, Bell was facing like it was like this, uh, like the Sandman or something like that, or some sort of like a um, like voodoo type people and stuff like that. And there's always cool different characters that they're facing. And the art is always because, like you say, because it's one artist doing most of the work in the book, if not all of it. Uh, and the, it kind of the, it stays consistent. You know, it's not like oh yeah, issues three point. or four is a, is a different person jumping on the book, and you're like oh, yeah. I was I was paying for this guy to do the art. Now I'm seeing what yeah. is that all about?
2: I mean, and that will happen no matter what you do. Sometimes, unfortunately, but but yeah, no, I mean. And, Keeping and... artists consistent, uh, finding good stable of artists, which we have uh, now, uh, working with a lot of the same guys um, who we know are reliable. That took, that took a long time to kind of get to that point too, like working with the right interior artists who are dedicated and who are really fast and professional. Um,
1: I, I actually, I, I have, I wanted to ask that question actually. Like you have a very loyal staff of writers, creators, artists, cover artists that love to create work for you guys. And yeah. I I think you create an environment where it's welcoming for them to let their imaginations go wild and have fun with it. And I think that's kind of a rare thing nowadays, which is cool. Like
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of publishers some feedback I've gotten in the past is like some publishers want to try to uh, we've never been this way, really, but like try to like pr- prove that they know what they're doing, <laughs> or know what they're talking about, and they want to over give notes like over like some artists are like I, I can't stand working for so and so because they're mm-hmm. fourteen hundred notes on a pro- on a on a cover, and I it's yeah. like they just and they can't they're 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 either trying to be perfectionists themselves and get the cover perfect or overanalyzing it, or they're just being a pain in the ass to be to prove that they're the man. Right. Um, so I, I think we're pretty, we're pretty good with that. Like we're, we're pretty easygoing, you know, we, we, we'll give notes and I used to be the editor in chief of the company, but now, you know, I moved into a different part, you know, different uh, part of the company now, but uh, cause I would have been, pulling my hair out if I can see a That's such a, such a tough gig. Um, it's a thankless gig that David Wall now has to carry. and David <laughs> um, But yeah, um, it, you know, we're, we're, we know what we want. We know what we like and we can be tough, but once you're in with us and you, we know you're a professional, we know what you know, you, we know, you know what you're doing. We kind of let you, let you
1: go so one of the questions that i've been dying to know is like every comic company now is the the multiverse and this and that and you know they're they're leaning so heavily into it but zenoscope utilizes what they call the realms can mm-hmm. you kind of explain the realms that may not know what it is and how do they sort of like break apart and some like of that and different avenues yeah. uh
2: yeah so the i mean i touched on it a little bit earlier so like the idea was uh, the realms are all like alternate alternate dimensions, mm-hmm. way, and that's where we came up with like so. There's Earth, which is the nexus, Earth, uh, Wonderland, Neverland, Oz, and Mist. Um, so Mist is the only one you probably never heard. of. You're like, I heard of the other three. Uh, <laughs> So this we came up with, but the other, the other, the others are like, so all these sort of worlds exist beyond our own. We just can't see them from mm-hmm. work. And then there's these beings that are either from earth or they're from one of these other dimensions that, you know, uh, may have heightened abilities in this dimension, in this world, or across all the world, all the dimensions, or just in their dimension. So it really depends who, that, who those beings are and they're called high, there's mm-hmm. um, and there's a whole mythology behind everything so like our our main character Seal and Mathers who was sort of our version of the Crypt Keeper early on in Grim Fairy Tales she would show up early on and she would hand uh, somebody a, the, the fairy tale book and they would learn a lesson and And that was like the early goings of the Grim Fairy Tales it was like almost like the think like I mentioned like Tales from the Crypt meets Fairy Tales Mm-hmm. And our keeper was Sela. Sela was then kind of evolved into this like highborn character that was the guardian of the Nexus. So she was the earth guardian and she crossed into the, she could cross into the other realms. Um, but she was the protector of earth against these enemies from these other dimensions. And then all these other characters, these very like bell, like, like, um, Robin hood and, and, um, a plethora of a hell child a plethora of our female lead characters all have their place within these worlds right this,
1: these dimensions depending mm-hmm. on
2: who they are um and that's sort of the general idea of the the realms i guess it, it's the basic
1: that, that's probably the best way to explain it i mean basic, it's...
2: yeah gives you the base of what we do and like it's just a cool way of like bringing in these other beings that like come from the, so so like when we have these fairy tales and mythologies in our world it's it's, it's kind of like that's because these places do exist we just can't see them.
0: ralph I, I had a question for you because going back to the beginning where you were talking about you know, you're a screenwriter hoping to break in that way and you weren't necessarily looking to get into comics and now right. that you've stayed in comics for all these years you know coming up on 20 years and not too long What have you learned about the comic industry, about fandom, about making comics? Like, what is it that excites you, that keeps you doing this?
2: Uh, Well, I say a lot to, I have a couple of uh, TV writer friends that have written comics for us. Um, One of them, uh, she's actually become a big comic book writer now, too. Her name's Latoya Morgan, and she writes for Boom a lot. Um, but she, her first comic book she wrote for us and, um, she was a fan of ours early on and we just had become friends through a, through a general meeting in Hollywood. And, um, you know, she was very much in, she just loved comics. And, and when we first started writing, uh, we first started ha- having a write, I was like, listen, it's not gonna, you're writing, she was writing for like big TV series. And I'm like, it doesn't pay. You're, she wanted to write a comic book. I'm like, it's not gonna pay you well like you're not <laughs> writing comics does not pay well. like let's mm-hmm. just get through that. like we don't have that kind of budget. We just don't or we'd be out of business. Um, and she's like, I don't care because like I know people are reading that. like people like when when you're creating a, a TV series or, or you're writing you're coming up with your world of your TV series or pitch, Um, or you're even writing a screenplay. It's amazing, right? It feels great to have that written, but the chances of that getting made is so slim. It's so hard, so hard to get a TV series made. I mean, it happens all the time, but there's, think of the thousands and thousands of writers that write all these things or come up with these great ideas and concepts that they pitch to studios that never get picked up and never get made. No one will ever see those ideas on TV. Or, on, or feature films, there's scripts everywhere that have been written that never got produced. The What I love about it is like, I know no matter what I write, I'm going to have an audience for that. Somebody's going to read it. Somebody like Michael, <laughs> at least I know Michael by you it. You got me, baby. Nobody else. I <laughs> think that's for me what's cool is knowing I have an audience. Um, and I know there's haters and there's people who will never read an Enesco comic in their life and have no inkling to, and would think we're just a TNA company. And that's fine as long as I know we have our fans that are into it, and and like that's cool to be able to know. And when, when me and Latoya, Latoya hit on that, and then my friend Kevin, who's a TV writer, kind of said the same thing, and I was like, yeah, it never dawned on me why I enjoyed this as much as I have. Yeah. Um, but it gives me the ability to create like the courier it's a universe i created there's only two series out and i'm hoping to wrap it up with a third one eventually um you know i created this world and this universe um that otherwise wouldn't have ever been seen the light of day without a lot a lot a lot of luck right if if i wrote that as a screenplay to get even now like i had that that was I was working with Bradley Cooper's company for a while trying to develop it as a screenplay. Um, you
1: know, there is there is like some sort of there courier movie out there though that was like there a,
2: a there's a courier movie that was a, I think she's also a motorcycle. Girl too.
1: Yeah, it's like loosely based on your comic and I think uh um, I hope
2: not cuz they never paid me. Yeah,
1: well it, it looks a lot like her. Um it, and it does. It, was, it
2: does. it came out like a couple of years after the the comic but I remember seeing a trailer, and I was like, "That's annoying." But then I was like, "I don't." The story was also, I think,
1: different. But I, don't. I, I watched about ten minutes of it, and I turned it off. I was like, "This is not the comic at all." Thank goodness. No, no. Um, it, it's
2: hard. It's hard to get. I mean, there's things you you have development. It's true. Development hell is a very, very accurate term because we have we have developed. and that's a that's the thing. Like, at least we get. So to answer your question, at least we have people. Reading or stuff. At least when I create something, I know it's not just going to be in my head. Like because I've written scripts that I love and I'm a, I'm very attached to. I would I've, I've written a comedy that me and, me and my buddy wrote a comedy together years back called Laser Boys, which is about a laser tag. It's like dodgeball with laser tag.
0: <laughs> I love it.
2: We love it. Like we think it's the funniest thing ever. But I know the chances that Kim made are like about this slim. Um, but I mean, you know, things that you write now for comics i know we'll have some sort of audience so that's cool
1: that's great yeah. and you know like my my two favorite characters are uh red agent who is like you said is, is a highborn who's kind of like she's sort of yeah. like a hybrid uh almost like werewolf-esque kind of a werewolf like Werewolf-y. little red riding hood and the wolf kind of combined and then, um,
2: and then yeah i like the what i like about red that that series is we kind of introduced like it's got like a little bit of a
1: James Bondy kind of feel, yeah.
2: Mission like, Impossible vibe to it. So yeah. there's like spy, vibe. like it's like it mixes like these two genres together. That's what yeah,
1: I which, was. which is super fun. And and she's always like fully covered up, pretty much. Like she's not new. And then you know my other favorite by far is is Bell, and I even have the Bell box. <laughs> no, man, he
2: must have loved interviewing Francini. He must have loved this.
1: Oh my god, we had a blast. I could have talked to him all night long. He cracked me up. Um, but yeah, no, like they're and they're just like. Especially with Belle, like she's more or less kind of human. She doesn't really have a lot of superpowers. She's just sort of, right. you know, grown up in this sort of legacy of yeah. hunters or warriors, if you will, hunting down demons and monsters and stuff like that. And I find that kind of interesting because she's she's human, essentially, you know, and which is really, really right. cool. The comic book has really like impacted me. Like the the stories really connect with me. I I buy these books over buying DC and Marvel and image just because I enjoy the characters and I enjoy this different universe with, you know, different storytelling. Now that you've got this idea for this, you know, this movie that you started shooting, you know, in anthology form, are there other stories you think you're going to be trying to option for movies for that or television? I mean, there's with Netflix and all the streamers and everything.
2: Well, that's an ongoing process, to be honest. I mean, that's something, when I left the editor in chief role behind, uh, that was sort of our, when we got, when we got Van Helsing on air which was nothing like the comic book. I won't mm-hmm. lie to you; it's very, very, very different, completely different. They just bought the comic to make this like they like the idea of a female Van Helsing. They like that. I don't even think they read the comic book. I don't know. So mm-hmm. they changed everything, um, and that's when I kind of got more. I wanted to get more in, involved in integrated into any of our future adaptations to make sure it was a little bit more close to what we were doing um so i mean over the years we've had stuff m- option multiple times and developed multiple times um i have i have something right now at um at screen gems which we announced uh which is not a book that probably you might not even have read called paradise court maybe you did read it um I, I, I know of article. it i know it yeah i mean that was a rare it's like a out there deep cut horror title we published and that they optioned because they were like we love this and and so we're working on that with screen gems um we have a great screenwriter and then there was a strike as soon as he got hired so (laughs) happened um we are working on like a mango and the bunny man uh, uh tv series right now um we're working on uh, what else are we working on? There's a few things uh, Monster Hunter Survival Guide. Um, you we know, always a,
1: had you, you had a cool uh, three issue um horror story called Possession. Oh, yeah, Possessive.
2: Uh, it, with it, the, with Adam Goldberg about uh, the you, creator of the Goldbergs.
1: Yes, fa- f- fantastic, and, fantastic. That would be a great funny, series as well. It's yeah, funny, it's quirky. That.
2: Yeah, it was a script actually. Adam, so Adam created the, the TV show, The Gold you, so mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys ever watched it. Oh, yeah,
1: sure. yeah, yeah. He's
2: from he's from Joe's hometown. Uh, they grew up, I grew up, I grew up 10 minutes from Joe. Adam and Joe grew up like literally like two blocks away from each other. Uh, but they never knew each other growing up. They met, mm-hmm. we all met because there was a writer named Hans Rodinoff who wrote um, our series called... Uh, uh shoot, what the heck I can't now I'm blanking. Uh conspiracy. He wrote conspiracy okay. for us. Um, and he works with Adam, they're writing partners. So him and Adam, and we met Adam, we went on the set of the Gold Burst one day and got to hang out. And and um Adam's a huge fanboy, like bigger than like he would dwarf any of our collections. Like it's <laughs> and they wanted they pitched us that concept they're like what, what if there's like this nasty poltergeist ghost pounding this house and killing people and but there was such a loser that lived there that the ghost almost took pity on it and then they fell in love and started to bang <laughs> it's,
1: was like, it's hilarious it's amazing
2: how, that sounds great let's do that <laughs> um, and it was like it's a comedy horror comedy and we published it and then they're writing they're actually writing the script for it, and then we're going to try and again, you know. Even though it's Adam Goldberg who's created a huge, huge TV series, and he's also the creator of the new Muppets TV series,
1: mm-hmm. you
2: know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's so hard to get something made. So, like, hopefully, we get that made, or we get some heat with that. But that's meant—that's something we mean to produce as a feature. Like,
1: um, It—it's written; something. it would work perfectly as it. It really would. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah, those cool. guys are funny. Those
2: guys are re- really good writers. Um, they're really good writers, really funny guys. Uh, Adam's super funny, but you know, it, it's definitely with when, when you see somebody like the gold, something like the Goldbergs or Muppets, it's more that's more family oriented. But mm-hmm. this, this obviously it's is
1: not, not, but it's it's still great. It just, it's it's a weird. Kind of family, though, in a way. It's, you it's hooked kind of me
0: cool. again. Last time it was Mad Goat and Buddy Man. Now I got to check out Possess. Now, it's, it sounds now, sounds now good. it's a
2: guy who has, who's having relations with a ghost because he gets divorced and he's a loser. And yeah. uh, starts having sex with a goat. <laughs> was like a nasty grudge
0: ghost. It's not even like a good looking ghost. It's a nasty grudge ghost. All right. So as we close out, I do have to ask this because you know, we've kind of addressed it here and there throughout the interview. It's something I I give Michael a hard time for, but now I know better, which is, you know, variant covers. That's part of the business. That's I mean, every publisher does it, you know, Marvel's over there getting J. Scott Campbell to draw sex. Gain. he's drawn covers for you why do you think you guys have a stigma on some level and marvel or dc marvel if they're or DC doing those stuff. i don't know things. yeah i don't
2: know you i mean i think because when we came out we were the industry was in this like lull like it kind of the 90s I, I, I recall and again i wasn't a 90s buyer like i didn't know anything before i started the company so, like, I wasn't the, a guy in the 90s who knew anything about s- sexy,
0: bad girls. Yeah,
2: covers, uh, bad girl. Covers. But I knew there was like a sort of a bubble and it burst in like the late 90s or maybe midnight, whatever it was, and then it died and then nobody was really doing it at the time that much as much or when we came on the scene and we just went full fledged with it because it made sense like we saw once we got those al rio covers um it was like those things were just flying off shelves it was like these gorgeous fairy tale i think it was the concept of like oh these are fairy tales and they're sexy and they're dead and they're they have this dangerous vibe and uh and we just ran with that that concept and we were like we were doing so many bad like um bad girls but we were doing so many like uh fairy tale female characters it just made sense to do sexy because you know, we knew the demographic was especially then now you're seeing more female readers which is hilarious because we would get females coming to our booth and going we i'd be in the comic with my boyfriend bored as hell and i saw your your books and I, pay, I had to buy them because they were awesome looking because nobody because they were relating to the fairy tale aspect of the book and then they would see these sexy covers and they would like. Start to read a page them and be like, oh, wait, these girls are, are kick ass. They're not like in the covers, they're not, their boobs aren't falling out and they're not naked running around. It's, they're just badass chicks. Um, But back then, we knew the demographic was men and it was like skewed older. It wasn't young men. The demo, the comic book reader demo was always like, you know, 25 to 55. It wasn't ever, oh, 13 to 22. It wasn't that. Um, and I don't know, like now I kind of used to get annoyed with people. Like I would see, I'll see nowadays you see like companies like kind of just rip off blatantly what we do, like blatantly just do what we do to try to get cover sold. Um, and I'm not going to name names, but I could name many names and it is what it is. Um, I, I know
1: who you're talking about, too. These are the same guys that would
2: rip us in a second, like, that hate us. It's kind of fun. So very weird industry. Like, the people in the, in, like, the, the other publishers in this industry, there's some really weird, like, hatred for one another. Like, it's, it's to a point of, like, or at least for <laughs> toward us. Um, for a while, I think, when, especially when there was, like, this this sort of, like, anti- I'm want to say like um uh, it, it was very anti um uh sexy like i don't know like it, like mid to 2000 like like the especially like 2011 12 13 around then it started becoming like this vitriol you'd see it on twitter all the time like people would just like rip us and come at it not really as much anymore i think that people have realized like the the super the super weird agenda of like trying to cancel us for having sexy covers is maybe over. I don't know. At least for now. Um, But like we would get if you see any any sexy cover, it's not even that's not even ours. It'll be like, oh, this is Xenoscope. The Xenoscope blah, blah, blah. And it could be like the worst cover we would never publish. And I'll see something that's terrible artwork. And it'll just have it boobs out. And it'll be like, oh, it must be Xenoscope. And <laughs> I'm like, And I used to get annoyed, but then I'm like, wait, it's, it's actually kind of like we have a, it's our branding thing. Like we're known and like, that's what people want to associate us with any sort of sexy cover. Like it's interesting. Um, so I kind of took it as like, maybe now it's sort of just, it's just what it is. It's like, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me anymore. I used to get annoyed by it. I used to tweet people back and like say (laughs) stuff. Then I'm like, what am I doing? Like, who cares? Like, if they want to associate Zenoscope with anything, it's a good thing. Um, all you know, really, any press is good press, mostly. Um, <laughs> so I guess it's, you know, it's one of those things I can't explain. Um, but we've become sort of like the playboy of comics maybe the maxim maybe it's the maxim of
0: comics
2: (laughs) you know like i i don't understand it but it is what it is because we aren't the only company doing it but maybe we're the one the biggest company that's doing it as consistently as we are and we don't run from it we're not hiding from it i think a lot of a lot of companies are trying to try to hide from it
0: you know yeah, and it feels like you know the the type of you want ultimately is somebody who's intelligent enough to go into the store and then open it and say, "Yeah, oh, okay, I now mean, I see what this is about." Yeah, I mean,
2: you hope. I mean, there's only so much you can do. I mean, I get it too. Like, I get, I get the the idea. There's been plenty of comics before us that probably just did boobies on the cover, um, or or sexy cover, and then you open it up and it was probably
1: trash. I'm yeah. sure. There's, oh, I've, I've seen a million of them for sure. Yeah.
2: We ever started publishing this happened and it happens now. Like I know there's, there's cover publishers now. that just publish sexy covers and then they pretend they have some sort of story inside. That's complete. I mean, I've read read a couple of them and I'm like, they're unreadable, but yeah. like it's part of the industry. Um, so I understand it where somebody just judge, literally judge a book by its cover. So we try to get out the message and the branding of like, Hey, come for the coverage but stay for the stories because mm-hmm. we try we really do take pride in the stories we're telling um the people who rip us are people who are generally not reading our books or have a preconceived notion of what we do or just don't like us and just want to rip us just to <laughs> rip us. but we do get it that happens too in this industry i think like especially with like creators or other publishers that never really made it or have or are struggling they they hang on to this like Disdain for people with who have had some what they perceive to be big success or success. So there's a fruit fly flying around. Yeah, so like that's the best way I could answer it without rambling. More. Yeah,
1: no,
0: that's that, no, yeah. that's a lot perfect. of good
1: points there. Yeah. So um, I am a of a father of, of two young daughters that are uh, six and three, and they're very into princesses of the of the Mouse House. You know, in particular Cinderella. And I was Both going through my <laughs> well. This is what happened last night. I'm going through all my comics and I'm pulling stuff out, and then my oldest daughter Grace looks up and goes, "Dad, that's Cinderella." And I was like, "Not that Cinderella."
2: Right. <laughs> that one I would recommend more for the violence than yes, anything. yes. But, but it's a bit, but that the, French, the... Sick twist sick mind.
1: Oh, the the twist on Cinderella is so good, though. I just I love the whole idea of it. It's hilarious. Um, yeah.
2: It's fun. It's actually that's what Franchini pitched that to us years back, and was like, really want to do this, like make her really crazy and <laughs> sadistic, and sort of like a crazy, like a sadistic Deadpool. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 because Dave's got such a weird, unique, he really does like have a weird, unique way of thinking and creative mind that, like, when we're in a story conference, or we're, we're me, Joe, me, Joe, and Dave are all very different, but we all mesh together when we're creating Dave will throw out the weirdest stuff like he'll, he'll just go on a tangent so sometimes you're just like oh my god dude stop like what are you doing <laughs> they don't hit something that you're like oh that's funny that's good like that works but he'll go out there like I'm like dude I don't know what's going on in that world like imagine taking a trip into his brain it would be very disturbing
1: <laughs> so like I have a couple of like couple of variants we were talking about like this there you go. But the one thing I will admit, because like I said, I have young daughters, I don't own any Z-rated covers because okay. a, I wouldn't be able to display them.
2: I not would love for you. not for everybody.
1: <laughs> I love you... them, but I wouldn't do it. Do you know what a Z-rated cover is, Adam? Oh,
0: I do. I've been <laughs> on the
1: website. I've seen. <laughs> yeah, we. Um,
2: we so, yeah, Z-rated is topless. The topless cover. We've not. We don't do for those out there. We don't do anything more than topless. Anymore. Right. But uh some companies will definitely do more than
1: yeah. that. One <laughs> of my one of my favorite covers that I bought through one of like the live shows um a few years back is this sort of twist on you did like of Bugs Bunny and Dappy Duck, and I'm a huge oh, Dappy yeah. Duck fan. And I bought I love this cover. It's just it's such a beautiful nice. cover, and it's such a fun thing. And I even bought this because I'm a big Batman fan. I bought this like Joker-esque mm-hmm. variant. Um, that son did and you know there's just the, the cool thing about Zenoscope is whether it's the covers or the stories there really is something for everybody if you're interested in comics and pick up something that's different than what you would normally see of superheroes and and that's part of the reason why when Adam mentioned to me that we were going to have you guys on the show I was like I want them on I want to promote their brand I want to promote their stuff and show people that there's so much more to it they were- I, I, you know, I, I'm saying this as an outside observer, but it feels like a very like family oriented sort of company. Everybody is, you know, very close knit, even if you're on California and they're in Philly, sure. like they're, they have a good communication and they have fun with what they do and they make great stuff so if if you're looking for something unique and you want to check out some cool books you can message us on social media i'll tell you or just go to your local shop and pick up some books i'm I'm selling it for you there you go well,
0: he's, he's he's looking for a job you got you got space <laughs> I, guess I, don't know I, I i, I freelance do. if you want i'll do whatever you want i don't know what
2: to do i don't know how much you need but i guess we'll
0: all right well ralph this is really fun we had a great time talking to you uh what to ask is there a project coming out is is there a book is there something you want people to pay attention to right now and where can they follow zenoscope and everything you guys are producing
2: uh i am writing a new grim tales of terror 72 pager right now and check us out at zenoscope z-e-n-e-s-c-o-p-e
1: and check out their Facebook page. They do a lot of live events and live feeds that you can right, watch yeah. and just tune in. And, and do a movie it's on every
2: month. Uh, yeah, the, the Clerks cast, uh, Brian O'Halloran, uh, who plays Dante in Clerks, uh, comes on with Marilyn Gigliotti, and we and Crystal Star, who was in is on um, Lego Masters, coming out on, on Fox, and we talk movies every month. We have one this Wednesday on, the, on our live streams
1: very cool awesome great right. and again it's it's a true pleasure to have you on the show i'm thrilled to meet you and you know spend an hour with you and talk about comic books and and just you know it's it's been a true pleasure so thank you so much for joining us and, and hanging out with us i appreciate it